0: Welcome to the second segment of Paul Graham Essays, where we build upon the ideas of the essay with our guest. Vivek Khare is the kind of investor each startup would like on its board. With his broad range of skills and experience of having mentored hundreds of founders, Vivek brings the unique vantage point that lets the tier 1 cities of India see the potential in Bharat. A few stellar startups that he has invested in and mentored include Nokri.com, Vastra App, Merit Nation, and many more. Vivek is also a lead investor on Let's Venture and has closed many deals on that platform. And today, he joins us to discuss Paul's essay, Do Things That Don't Scale. For after all, Vivek is an expert at helping startups scale. So, without much ado, let's hear Vivek could you please tell us about yourself the work that you're doing and how you provide
1: this supervision to startups that they so desperately need so i ended up joining a uh, fidji which was into a test prep space i joined more as a serendipity because they were paying extremely good money for uh, to their faculties so i thought that i'll be able to earn my pocket money and i joined them as faculty and very quickly realized that uh, you know they had all the problems of a startup i mean there was everything to be done from operations to sales to marketing to you know everything and i ended up getting sucked into all of them and moved away from uh, teaching to basically marketing slash sales we didn't use to call it sales we used to call it counseling but at the end of the day it was a sales function and i handled that for uh, four five years and we saw really crazy growth uh, In those uh, six, seven years, when I joined, there were 80 students. And by the time I left uh, in 99, we had more than 27,000 enrollments. We started with three or four faculty members. And by the time I left, there were more than 200. So right off the college, I got to work for a startup, which saw a artistic growth. I didn't kind of realize that, that I was part of this, you know, blitz uh, scaling, but that's what I was uh, lucky to have witnessed right off after college. And then I joined in 99, I joined knockrecom And if somebody asks me why I did that, I have absolutely no idea. I mean, I took a life risk because I felt that this is an idea whose time I had come. Though at that point of time, they were only 24,000 net connections in India. And uh, so this is in March 99 that I joined Nokia.com. And you know, Nokia's story is fairly well known, so I will not repeat that, but I, uh, saw the Nokri scale, we did our IPO in 2006. Uh, apart from Nokri.com, we started Jeevan Sati, 99 acres, Shiksha, few more businesses along the way, we raised money, we gave exit to our investors. So, you know, that, that was again a very, very exciting journey. And again, a blitz uh, scaling that I saw there, you know, the Nokri scale like crazy and I was part right in the middle of the action there. And then in 2010, our board said that, you know, you, you have been uh, you know, doing a lot of stuff and now you should start investing in other companies rather than trying to do everything on your own. So with this mandate, Ayan Sanjeev Bhikchandani decided to start in, uh, you know, looking after investments for InfoJazz Group and he pulled me into in with him because I was part of Naukri, and. Uh, from 2010 to 2015, we invested in uh, 11 startups, luckily for me and luckily for InfoJ also our first few investments included uh, Zomato.com and Policy Bazaar. And it's a, it's a very interesting story Sanjeev said there, boss, you have uh, chased numbers, you have chased deliveries uh, all your life. You know, how do I ensure that you work hard in this role? So why don't you invest your own money into these startups? So. I got a chance to invest uh, in Zomato and Policy Bazaar because my boss didn't want to give me a KRA. So that was my initiation into angel <laughs> investments. <laughs> I took uh, adult supervision because that was the role that the edge gave me. He, please look after these startups which are just starting and if they require any help. And because I had already seen uh, Fidji and Naukri scale, mm-hmm. I was given their charge. And so I now have the privilege of uh, seeing First, Fidji scale, then Nokri scale, then Zomato scale, and then Policy Bazaar scale, right from what uh, Peter Thel calls from zero to one. So that's been my journey. Wow. Uh Honestly,
0: I couldn't have asked for a better guest to discuss things that don't scale. I mean, your journey, your life journey is that of scaling different things. And I work with schools and I know how difficult that can be at times but scaling from 80 to 27000 that's a tremendous effort uh, the lessons that you learn there they stay with you forever
1: yeah, yeah we were scaling we were growing four times not even 100 times 50% 100% we were growing at uh, a crazy rate the first year used to be the marketing budget of the next year it was like that wow whatever <laughs> money we were making we were spending on marketing we had so much of confidence about the growth yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah. So you were destined for
1: high-growth startups. I guess so. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I was very lucky. That's that's the way I. I have the gratitude that I got a chance to you know see the scaling of these uh, startups.
0: True. And luck always is a function of hard work. But moving to the essay and what Paul discussed, the first thing that he begins with is talking about the collision installation where he says that, you know, I'm not going to send you a link where you install something, but give me your laptop and I'll install it for you sort of a thing. So that go getter attitude is something that gets a lot of startups begin their journey and all. Mm-hmm. Have you in your career come across certain examples where startups have done this or you in your own life uh, have experienced it where the growth has been pushed forward by these small little measures?
1: So my thesis is that you have an idea mm-hmm. and with that idea, you create a POC. You have a proof of concept mm-hmm. and then you take it to the market. And at that point of time, you need to get find the users who will use your uh, product and give you feedback. This is the period when this, you know, this whole concept of a collision comes in. Sure. You need to force users down the throat of your users and get the feedback out of them. Okay. So let me just rephrase this thing. See, okay. as a startup, you are creating a new product or a new service. Absolutely. All your customers will have a way of doing that thing in their life anyway. Hmm. Right so for example when i was at naukri all the recruiters were used to giving ads in the newspaper waiting for the you know the response to come by the mail and going through those cvs uh, and then shortlisting okay. and then we came along and we said you know no that's not the way the, the new medium is internet and you need to start using that so you won't believe it at the early stage at naukri we used to, you know, go to our uh, clients who were the consultants and the recruiters, ask them to fill the physical paper form. You tell us what your requirements are. So they would, you know, tell me, okay, this is the job. This is a job description. This is our, you know, candidate profile that we want. This is the salary that they will get. And we would on the client's behalf come and fill up the job. All right. We used to get the response and we would insist that there will be a BCC to us also. So we used to know at any given point of time for a specific job listing on Nokri, what is the response which had come. And all of that through email. And, and all of that through email. That is very, very early days. I'm talking about 99, 2000. So I just wanted to understand that. So Naukri.com definitely is an
0: example. A lot of our listeners and startup founders would take more seriously think of it tracking hundreds of emails and seeing which job posting has received how many applications it's a nightmare just to think about it today seems like a mind-boggling
1: task Yeah, but you have to understand when we started, the number of people who had access to the internet were only 24,000 in whole of India. You know, the first set of consultants who came to us were the consultants who were placing people for Y2K problem in US. They were very happy with our services because there was a natural selection. Only people who had access to the internet and had access to an email were responding and they were looking only for those people. So, you know, our solution initially worked for the IT consultants. So Many times, uh, you know, what would happen is we would go put the ad, they would still give the ad from the newspaper and they will be busy, you know, shortlisting from the normal process. And we would go and say, boss, you have also got these responses. Why don't you look at that? And then when they started realizing that they were getting better responses from uh, knocktree.com on the email rather than the physical forms, then they started switching their behavior and started taking us more seriously. So. I've seen that happen again and again, again, and again, everywhere. So if I look at what Zomato did or what, you know, even at Fiji, what we did, we used to have this concept of model lecture where we, we would say to the students, Ki, okay, you just come, look at the way we will teach you and our teaching methods will be so very different from what they're used to in the school that they would realize, Ki, okay, this is a far better way of uh, learning. So at the early stage, when you want the early set sort of users to adopt, Uh, initially even if your customers are reluctant or they don't have the time or they are busy with their you know the normal you ingrain in uh, yourself into them show the value that you are creating and then you will get the behavior change that you are looking for
0: absolutely what a wonderful point user behavior needs to be tweaked and as you rightly pointed out they have been getting things done without your so-called app which means they are so accustomed to their view, their way of working
1: that uh,
0: in order to shift that will require tremendous effort from you as the founder. So I'll give you
1: one more example, which may be very relevant here. Uh, One of our first big clients used to be LG. Okay. We were based out of Noida. They had a factory in Greater Noida. So the HO used to work out of Greater Noida. And we went and sold the solution to the HR head who was a Korean guy. And obviously he understands he knew what internet was and what the online uh, recruitment was. So obviously he ended up taking the solution, Hmm. but uh, recruiters at that point of time, were used to, you know, giving ad in the SN newspaper, waiting for 15 20 days, getting the response. Then somebody would do and do the, you know, shortlisting and that's the way they were used to work. And by the time, you know, we had also had launched our application tracking system. And we never waited for them to post the job. If they gave an ad in the newspaper, we would just take that ad and post it also on the Naukri. And, you know, nobody was logging into the ATS and to check the responses. So I remember I went to the recruiter and said, tell me, have you been able to close this position or not? So she said, no, no, they're still waiting for the responses. I said, what kind of people you require? You know, they were doing literal hiring. So she gave me the list of two or three competitions. And they said, you know, we have to hire people with seven, eight years experience from these companies. Okay. And in front of her, I went and, you know, did that search showed her that they were 40 such resumes. And, you know, her literally her job dropped. <laughs> she said, I can't believe that there are so many people have already applied and we don't even know. She immediately, you know, uh, just went ahead and said, you print out and that's the end. After that, they never gave an ad in the newspaper. New- Absolutely. I mean, imagine the plight of waiting for those responses while they are already there in the inbox. So Had I not taken the initiative, uh, we would have never got that behavior change. So true.
0: And now that person, once that, that HR manager is recruited, she becomes your salesperson. She becomes exactly. the ambassador.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, takes- so, you know, one thing which we did at nokri was that, so we knew that mm-hmm. we were selling to the HR, but our user, the guy who was using with the recruiters you know, every recruiter will have a different login and they will have to create the profile. So Mm -hmm. understand this. So there was the one general account for LG, but for every recruiter, there was a sub account. And with every sub account, there was an email ID and there was a phone number. So, you know, we used to call up the users and say, boss, you just tell me what is the mandate you are working for and we will set up everything for you. Absolutely. That level
0: of. Well, yeah, that
1: level of uh, uh, hand holding and uh, customization we used to do and therefore all the recruiters got so hooked to using us that when they shifted the jobs, they said, Ki, boss, unless you have the Naukri subscription, I can't deliver. <laughs> so, you know, the most of our sales happened simply because we trained the recruiters so well that they they just could not work without us. And that is one of the biggest reasons for the success of Naukri that the recruiter community just adopted us wholeheartedly.
0: Absolutely. And even today it remains a trailblazing space, like uh, knockly.com rules the industry by far, even today, I think. Yeah. Um, True. Now, moving forward, you just spoke about customers and being uh, customer centric and all of that. It is true that uh, in the essay also Paul talks about customer service and its importance and how it permeates into the company culture. I'm sure most of the startups today pay extreme importance to it. But to many, it still remains elusive, right? Certain yeah. startups even today don't understand the value of what you said, going out and reaching to that person and saying that, you know, this is how it works, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So how does a startup or how does a founder establish this culture of customer service? Because what you do in the beginning years sort of stays forever.
1: Yeah, that creates the foundation. Yeah. It does create the foundation. I, th- I think that's a very important point. And I'll tell you, if you're doing a startup, whatever your product or whatever your service, there are alternatives to it. You have competition. So the only way you will win against your competition or the only way you will get the behavior change, if your solution or the product is 10 times better than what they are doing currently, that's the only way the change will happen. And the real... Uh, barometer of that are you 10x better or not is what I call the customer delight. So so the point is that if you're solving a real pain point for the customer and because of that the customer is delighted not uh, okay, not happy but delighted. That's when you have the recipe for success. So A, you need to understand what is the exact pain point and is your product or solution exactly solving that or not. If it is solving, there's a high chance with, in spite of all the bugs and the incompleteness, and you know there is ton of other uh, bells and whistles which have to come, they will uh, you know adopt your solution. So I've seen that with Nokri, we had the one of the most horrible UI. Uh, It was very very (laughs) difficult to use. The site was slow. Site used to crash like crazy. Those are early days. But the point is, boss, we used to deliver. So the point is that in spite of all its imperfections, people just loved it because we were very good at what we did. And, you know, we both are investor in uh, Vastra. And for me, the only reason I've invested is simply because I saw, I did the diligence on the people who were using it and compared to the way they were doing it earlier and what, you know, Vastra allows them to do today. It is such a marked difference that the adoption of Vastra is given. I'd been working with Pika's, who's the founder of uh, Vastra and I've been telling him, you will not go beyond uh, Surat and Ahmedabad till, you know, you have solved every bit of it. You are very confident that all your customers are extremely happy with you. Whatever bugs are there, whatever they need you first mother, your test bed is your karambhumi is going to be Surat till you perfect that. Once you do that, then, you know, the world will open up. There are like 30, 40 sub centers as Surat, which are textile hub in India. So that's the reason I'm saying if he does a good job in Surat, the kind of market that he has is immense. And that's the reason I invested in him.
0: Absolutely. And for our listeners, uh, we just want to talk about Vastra app. It's an app for the textile market players and traders. And I and Vivek both are co-investors in it. However, uh, what he mentioned is true, the level of dedication that the team has and the way they recruit their users, it is tremendous. But this is not about Vastra, so we'll probably (laughs) move forward from there. And this brings me to the next part, which really helps me uh, stitch this together is, one of the things Paul mentions is also called FIRE, where he says that you have to keep your initial days centered, what you just mentioned, Ahmedabad and focus on just two geographies and kind of solve all the problems you can for those people. And that will help you scale so much better as you move forward. This works for most startups and all that. How do you work for startups, say B2B startups from India for the globe? So there is a new trend where we're building products for the world and where we are taking services to countries, which are the first world countries and we're building the products here. So in such a scenario, what should their the strategy
1: be and what can a startup look at? No, so thing is that you need to have both the perspective all the time. Example of, uh, you know, the, the point that you're trying to make. I was an investor in Zomato. Mm-hmm. And when we invested in Zomato, their 100% uh, traffic was coming from NCR and 80% revenue was coming only from Gurgaon. And what they had done was that ki they had perfected the playbook in Gurgaon. And their playbook was that my aggregation of all the restaurants in a particular area will be top-notch. So there was not one restaurant in Gurgaon, which they had left out. They were fanatical about ensuring ki all the information about the restaurants were accurate, which basically means the addresses, the phone number, the latest menu, which restaurants have closed, which has opened. They were fanatic about ensuring ki their database was always accurate and up-to-date. That was the reason because they were so good at that because there were other players also. But the point was that most of the time when you called up, you would find that the restaurants have closed down. Uh, the phone numbers will not uh, get through because the phone numbers had changed or the menu was old and things like that. But as far as their information, whatever information was there, though it was limited to gurgaon but always was absolutely accurate. And that is the reasons why the restaurant owners started giving them the money to run their ads. Because they knew that their reach in Gurgaon was exceptional. You will get far more uh, marketing uh, reach for every rupee that you spend on Zomato compared to anything else. And that point of time, you had the choice of either distributing the pamphlets or giving the small ads in the newspaper, which were horribly expensive. So compared to that, uh, Zomato was much, much cheaper, was much more uh, focused because they had traffic only from Gurgaon. And the thing is that you will immediately know that this particular response or this order had come from Zomato because they were routing the calls through their number. So again, the same funda which we are talking about, ki keep the fire at a concentrated space. And when they came to us, they were like, ki we now know ki what works. So if you give us the money, we can go to the whole of Delhi, which was like South Delhi, West Delhi, North Delhi, Noida, Faridabad, Ghaziabad. So that's what we have been able to do in uh, Gurgaon we can very easily replicate in all these five or six markets. Therefore, we can grow five times in NCR itself. And once we have done NCR, we can go to Bombay, Bangalore, Calcutta. So we have another three. So they were like, boss, the moment we get money in within one, one and a half years, we will be able to grow 15 times. So that was the promise with which they took money from us. And we were like, boss, this seems possible." you show us that you can grow 15 times with first investments and obviously they will be no stopping you. And that's exactly what they did within nine months. You know, we invested 1 million and then we came back within nine months to invest another 4 million. So, so that is required. Don't spread yourself. Do at one place, do it well. And once you have done that, all the investors will be able to connect the dot and see you, okay, if they can do this, then all these markets are open to them. But on the other hand, if you know, uh, if they would have come to us with uh, five lakh of revenue across the India, we would have never invested in them. And we get many times these kind of people who have said, you know, uh, we have so much of revenue, but when we look at spread, it is already you are in all the places. So where is the growth going to come? So you have to keep on doing the same thing more and more to extract from there. When you present to us, to our investors, and there is no replication possible, you are already wherever you want to be. Then, uh, you know, it gets very difficult because then you will need to keep on taking more and more money to grow. That doesn't work. Absolutely. That doesn't work. That's
0: hardly scalable because your money just spoofs up, you know, by the time you can even get some tangible results. It's so easy for the funds to run out unless you are frugal with your investments and you know the exact strategy that you're looking at.
1: There is a different uh, pool of capital which is available when you're doing the discovery. That's what the angel money is for. But once you have found the POC, when you have found the market fit, hmm. then you raise the growth money. With that money, you should have the visibility or the uh, business plan to grow 15x in uh, less than two years. So, so that's the way I differentiate between the discovery money and the growth money. Yeah. The jargon that's usually used today, say the MVP, where
0: you're saying that, you know, first you have the MVP and you test yeah. it out angel money or something like
1: that and then once you have the PMF you can go ahead in your group stage. I've started to stop using the word MVP. I say the minimum lovable product. Oh, On working (laughs) till you find that you have a product or a set of features which clients just love. If you find that love then the growth will happen. Unless you have user
0: love everything else is just numbers crunching here and there. Well, that is absolutely true. A lot of founders tend to feel that they need to have a perfect product in order to get that user. Uh-huh. So perfectionism is often an excuse for procrastination yeah. at the SAV. Hmm. Have you now asking you for an anti-example where you've seen a startup not be able to achieve its growth targets or achieve the vision it set out for? Just because they harped too much on perfectionism in the beginning, which was essentially procrastination.
1: So I don't want to take the names, but yeah. So see, I've been uh, investing uh, as an angel for the last 7-8 years. I have 17 companies in my portfolio and many of them have died. And wherever startup has not been successful, normally there have been only two reasons. One is obviously the team uh, was poor and the team chemistry was poor. Mm. And the second thing is precisely this, ki, they just could not do the release. I mean, they were waiting for that Nirvana. They were waiting for the Taj Mahal to be ready. <laughs> and, you know, they ended up spending all the money there. And uh, it, it was very, very frustrating. I was like, e- you don't even know whether this Taj Mahal, people want to visit this Taj Mahal or not. Please go out in the market and start testing it. And uh, exactly the same thing happened. I mean, they went with a certain assumption that this is what the client wants.
0: Uh, mm-hmm. It's just
1: that because they were not talking to, they were not going enough out in the market that they realized that they had built something which uh, the customers never wanted. So that's a very, very, very frustrating uh, part. And that's the reason I keep saying, you feel that you have the minimum set of features. You go out and start testing it, talking with the customers, showing what, what problem that uh, you are trying to solve and see whether that resonates you know, with your clients or not. And that feedback is, you know, gold dust. I remember my days at uh, Nokri. you know, we had salespeople, you know, who would go out and try to sell the solution. And that responsibility was with the Hitesh, Obray, who is now the CEO. So he's the one who would go out and, you know, get us the clients. And then there was another set of uh, people, which was basically headed by Sanjeev who where ki, I don't want to talk to the HR head. I want to talk to the 10 recruiters who are using the product, you know, and I and Sanjeev used to concentrate on that aspect, ki, whether the recruiters are happy with us or not, what problems are they facing? Where are they getting stuck? And, you know, so, so, so what happened was that we, the, when we created our solutions, most of the vocabulary we used was the vocabulary, which was used by the recruiters. So that is the reasons why it got adopted the most. And some of the most uh, interesting insights we got from our recruiters. They told us that this is what they want. You know, we were like, it was, this is my client is saying, I want to do that. So whatever we did, a lot of things happened simply because the client asked for it. And we said, okay, you have asked for it. We will incorporate that whether it makes sense or not. You have asked for it. And if, if we knew that okay, there were enough people asking for it, we just went ahead and created those uh, solutions. So it is very important to you know not have your own version of what the client want. You have to go out in the market and keep checking it. Is this is what you wanted? Okay, how can I tweak it to get to exactly what you want? Absolutely.
0: Just keeping on building your Taj Mahal in the air, the castles in the air, they lead to nowhere. And sometimes they lead you to a rabbit hole where you have all the features, which nobody really wants. Because the user is probably at a different tangent, the user has different Mm -hmm. questions. So I think as a startup founder or as an early stage founder, Um, keeping your feedback loop as small as you
1: can. It is a job of everybody. So I insist that all the product people, all the tech people, all the finance people Uh uh, need to go to the market and keep getting the feedback whether what we are building is uh, relevant or not. When it comes to getting the customer feedback, there is no uh, domain uh, differentiation. No matter what you are doing in a startup, you need Uh to be close to the customer. So in fact, you won't believe it. Even we launched in 99, even till uh, 2005, 2006, uh, our CFO, uh, it was his mandate that he will go to at least 20 sales calls uh, every month. And, you know, people would laugh, why would you take your CFO for a client meeting? But we were like, boss, unless he knows Ki, what we are selling and how the customers are ex- uh, experiencing, he can't do his job as a CFO. This may sound very funny, but that's the reality. There's nobody in the organization who can say, it is not my job to face a customer. Wow. And I think establishing that
0: sort of a culture is what makes for long term winners. I'm amazed to hear this story for sure. And we would love to see more of these examples. I'm sure a lot of startups that you have mentored would be applying these things and over a period of time would get far more I successful. Force
1: too. I force them to. I force them to. That's my part of my adult supervision. Okay, <laughs> Have your tech guy went and met enough clients or not? <laughs>
0: Whatever we've spoken about Vivek are mostly uh, the startups are software-based uh, and all. Have you come across hardware startups that have amazed you or any that you have... Um, any stories or any founders that you have met, which have worked similar wonders in say the hardware world, because again, hardware startups, the new segment that's coming up in India, the D2C brands, they have different
1: challenges or
0: not.
1: So I won't say that I have uh, any very major, massive success story as far as the hardware uh, startups are concerned, I have started seeing, uh, you know, many startups coming up uh, in that area. And at least some playbook in terms of, you know, how you launch a, a hardware product, those uh, best practices and those uh, things are getting created in the sense you know, how you work on the prototype, how do you ensure that you might replicate your prototypes? How do you, uh, you know, work with the product designs, keep improving the prototypes? You know, those uh, best practices are now, I think I'm developing. And, and my sense is that in the year, year and a half, what you will see is the explosion of the hardware startups and what you also have to understand is that you know the the material science the 3d printing you know the base at which people can do the prototyping has really improved and the kind of tools which are now available the kinds of design philosophies which are coming in is really really amazing and i think we are slightly behind but uh, i am very confident i am very optimistic that uh, the next wave of innovations will be in the hardware space in fact as we speak uh, i am mentoring two or three of uh, hardware uh, startups Uh, But they're still very, very early and they're still trying to kind of uh, work towards their prototypes. Wow.
0: Uh, We would really
1: wait for them to hit the market. You
0: just spoke a little bit about, uh, say, how do they launch and all. But here also in the essay, Paul says that, you know, big launch is the last thing that you really need. And very often that's a facade that we put up to avoid recruiting users individually. So have you had any luck with, say, uh, launches of a particular startup? Do they work? And in which sector do they work or any
1: big launch that has failed? This is a function of your uh, funding and from who's backing you.
0: Okay.
1: The reason I'm saying this is because see, sometimes what happens is when what you are saying that I'm going to create something which has not been done before. And my method of my product or my service is going to be complete fresh new start. Then you cannot have a big bang uh, launch kind of thing. That is a recipe for disaster because by definition, what you are trying to do, nobody is aware of. And therefore, uh, you know, you will have to go incrementally. You'll have to find your early adopters will try your product. If they are happy and they give the feedback and then you can feel, that, okay, if I have the enough money and I, you know, do it with a bank, then I can, you know, cross the challenge. I don't think I can think of any startup which have been able to have success by a big bang, But, you know, otherwise, I mean, the thing is anything which is backed by the big money. If, if you're part of a big corporate and you uh, do a launch, uh, you have the resources, then that it will work. Uh, the way I see it is that if you are confident that there is a market, you are not worried about the adoption and you are only uh, worried about the marketing, then you can do a big bang. Uh, with enough testing enough uh, resources for me the startup by definition is somebody who wants to do something when you don't have the resources how do you hustle yourself to a success big bang is possible only once you have enough backing enough uh, capital to do that because you can't fail you need to do enough testing you need to be very sure of adoption so all that homework has to go before you do a big bang
0: so I'll give an example
1: when we were doing Nokri, and, you know, we had been, uh, be, we were added from 98, uh, 98, 99, 2000. And then when the first internet b- bubble happened, hmm. at that point of time, many sites came up. Hmm. They had re- received massive amount of funding because by the time Nokri was successful, uh, we had the visibility and the people were sure ki there is enough market for online recruitment. So when they came, you know, I remember a particular competition of us who came and gave four-page ad in Times of India, and uh, that is the time when India-Pakistan had a series in Sharjah, and they oh. gave uh, their ad in that series. And you know, we uh, through our sources tried to find out how much they would have spent uh, in uh, launch, and we were aghast because they would have spent three or four times of our annual revenue. Wow. So they had spent that kind of money only in the launch. Huh. Wow.
0: I'm sure that startup
1: doesn't exist anymore. They were very, very smart. They had a better product than we had, but it's just that they spent so much money. They, they were bleeding so much. They were never able to uh, get the f- follow-up funding. And while we were very, very prudent and you know we were uh, break-even, so we survived the burst, they could not survive the burst. But had they survived the burst, maybe it would have been a totally different uh, history. It is just that because we didn't spend that kind of money, uh, we survived the dot-com burst.
0: Wow. Lots to unpack here. And one thing I realized is that money can't help you cross the chancel. And uh, probably Big Bang launches and all are backed by high big corporates. And when you have a product that's sort of tested out, even Uh after that, Big Bang launches tend to fail. Unless yes. you are in the market of luxury goods and all that, then that's yes. a different thing altogether. Another thing I realized is that startups and companies have been funding cricket and matches. The startup sponsoring the IPL is not new, probably. Yeah, uh, great insight in that.
1: See, but I would say is that the companies which are funding, uh, you know, when they're sponsoring the IPLs, believe me, they're no longer a startup. So so for me, the startup is still such time that you are doing the discovery. And, you know, the, the adoption is there. But once you have figured out, Ki what will work and you have got your series C, series D hmm. and then you are marketing to get the users. Then you are like a normal any other corporate. There's no difference between you and any other. So Zomato for me is no longer a startup. Zomato used to be a startup uh, you know, from 2010 uh, uh, to 2013, uh, 14. But for the last six, seven years, if somebody says ki they are a startup, I don't agree with that. They have all the resources that they want, the kind of money that they have. So they may be losing money, but there is no dearth of the people who are ready to to bankroll them. Absolutely. So I think that is very, very important to understand that key what kind of backers you have. And the moment you have a proven product which the customers love and the investors are ready to bankroll you. <laughs> You no longer are a startup. True. A startup's
0: journey changes. And uh, after a while, it faces a different set of problems that the founder will
1: have to deal with. Yeah. So
0: tell me That is that, one to end
1: journey. That is one zero to one end journey.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned zero to one again. That is one of the pivotal books that helped us at Amara Ventures dive into angel investing to begin with. And one last question, Vivek, for you. So what exactly do you look for in a founder? We've spoken a lot about companies and startups, but you're also an angel investor and you mentor a lot of them. So what kind of traits do you look for in a founder and what mental models do you work with when you are evaluating a founder for any particular deal?
1: So my first and the now cardinal rule is that I don't look at founder. I look at founders. I don't want to invest behind a single founder that I have now realized hard way is a recipe for disaster. You are always better off uh, investing behind a team rather than an individual. So you should look for uh, a team. Uh, that is one thing. And secondly, as I said, keep my thesis is that, you know, for you to, to create value, it takes 10 years. There's hmm. nothing which is going to happen in a hurry. So, uh, it's very important that you place yourself key. What will be the world like, uh, in 10 years and you need to have your vision. You need to have your thinking. You need to have your bets around ki how the behavior or what technology changes will happen, which will shape the world 10 year hence. And you take the bet according to that. So for me, the important thing is that the people should be trying to solve not today's problem, but tomorrow's problem. I joined Nokri in 99 when the internet was just started happening in India. There were only 24,000 connections. We were at the mercy of the BSNL as far as the internet was concerned. By the time, you know, the net happened, we were there to capitalize on that. And uh, same is true for Zomato. When Zomato started, you won't believe it at that point of time, there was no smartphone. Today, people can't imagine Zomato without the app. But the fact of the matter is that both Zomato and Ola, when they started their journey, there was no visibility there was no concept of an app they started off trying to solve the problem and then because they started early and the technology happened which was basically the maps and the smartphones and the payment they, they were able to write all of that so the point i'm trying to make here is that you need to look at what is happening today so the way the content the way the ai ml is happening today the way the payments logistics all of that you know that those technologies are coming which is going to Completely revolutionized the way things are done. So you know, 99, it was like you take any business, include internet, and you had a new business. Okay, so that's the way you know the make uh, make my trip got created, or that's the way the India Mart got created, or that's the way Nokri got created. they were businesses which you know with internet transformed them. Again, I go back to what they understand the friction in the business, they are using these new technologies, and they will get the adoption because of the of the delight factor, the wow factor, because. Their way of doing things will be so far superior to where they are being done right now that they will get the adoption. So place yourself how the world will be in 2025, 2030 and then take your bet today. That's what I do. There are three things. One is the team, whether they have the vision, whether I'm aligned with their vision or not. And the kind of problem that I'm trying to solve. Is that problem large enough or and will that adoption happen or not? Okay. So that's the way I look at it. I put myself in the future, bring extrapolated, and I invest net present value of that problem today, based on that, I invest. Wow. So you essentially look
0: for teams who can, uh, who can look at the problems of present but
1: also have the vision for the future. Yeah, I'm not interested in the people who are saying that today people have this problem. No. That is the same thing. Today, somebody that's says, I want to get into food delivery or I want to get into recruitment. I'm sorry. Those you started working 10 years back.
0: And that's something the technology happens to catch up, as you mentioned that, you know, very often yeah. once yeah. you start solving problems, technology catches up, but you should be clear about the value proposition that you offer.
1: So, for example, in Edutech, according to me, the next uh, revolution will be holograms when the teachers would, you know, will come in physically in front of you. So now once the holograms and you've started seeing those, you know, the early prototype of that technology coming and now imagine imagine if you have the holograms, how everything will change, how education will change, how entertainment will change, how meetings will change. Everything will change once, you know, those things becomes mainstream. Now, the only people who start working on that from today will be the winners, not people who will wait for that technology to come and they say, I'll adopt that.
0: And I work with schools and I wait for that day when everyone <laughs> has access to great teachers. Very often, <laughs> uh, the education you get is a function of where you are born and the geography you are limited by. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That has to change. That will completely change. mother. Yeah. technology will completely democratize education. That has already started happening to a great extent and will happen more and more. True. And with
0: yeah. that, we... Come to an end of the essay and discussion of it. But I have a few rapid fire questions for you, Vivek, if you have time.
1: Sure.
0: Okay. An anti-portfolio company of yours that you can talk about.
1: Big basket. I went and met Abhinav thrice. I was mm-hmm. very, very keen that my company invest, but we decided to let it go. Mm-hmm. Another was Policy Bazaar, but uh, for me as an angel, but luckily I got a chance to participate in them in through secondary. Wow. Cryptocurrency, according to you, is? The future. It is. It's an idea whose time has come. And it's an idea who which cannot be stopped, will happen. And the people will be surprised by how quickly it will get adopted. Oh, wow. Okay.
0: If you had to pass out of college in 2021, instead of the 90s that you passed out in, you would want to work in which field
1: and as what? Huh. So that's a good one. So what I've realized is that, and that's an advice for everybody who is right now in college, that don't rush into one particular field. Try out various things. You don't know what you are good at. You don't know what you don't know. So uh, keep the first four or five years to experiment, uh, do various things, okay. get eclectic experience, and then uh, you know specialize in something. That's something I realized uh, later on. I chose one thing, but there were other things which I didn't know about, which were e- equally fascinating. And I took 10 years to realize them. Today's kids uh, are lucky in the sense ki, they can get exposed to various domains and various aspects very, very early on. So that's my advice. And that's what I would do. I would go to a place which would allow me to experiment with and try out various things before I specialize in anything.
0: So have like a gamut of experiences rather than choose your specialization right away.
1: We're
0: talking about things that scale. And I want to know a peak in your life that you have scaled, which initially felt insurmountable.
1: So that's a very interesting question. If I look back at my career, I never held on to a position for more than three or four years. Every time I change something. So, you know, when I look back and I try to analyze what my career has been, I've been one of those people who were ready to take the risk. Anything which nobody else wanted to do in the organization, simply because that was, nobody had tried earlier or because it was supposed to be risky. You know, I had been more than willing to raise my hand and go and do that. Wow. So, and obviously there are certain times when I've been successful, sometimes I have not been successful. I've always tried to do new things and that's what keeps me exciting today also. And that's the reason I like to work with the startups because that is the epitome of taking risk. So I, I don't think he, uh, there's anything that I regret. I keep on trying various and riskier and riskier things. So as we speak, I'm learning a new language and my hope is that if I'm able to learn this new language, there will be a lot more other avenues which will open up for me because now you know that one, one plus one is equal to 11 wala funda. so oh, okay. so that quest is still on <laughs> let me put it this way <laughs> okay
0: so my next question
1: is in your free time you besides learning the new language what do you really do <laughs> so i'm a very very voracious uh reader i have to keep learning new things so it's not only the language that i'm learning there are zillions of things so at any given point of time i will have two or three courses which i would be doing so economics is something that I have, uh, you know, I have a lot of interest in and I'm trying to, uh, to master that. So so investment, economics, learning, those are things which keeps me busy. I don't have a nine to five job anymore. So I have a lot of time to pursue these interests.
0: Wow. Uh, so you are that voracious learner who never stops to learn new things. And it's yeah, amazing.
1: Defines, I guess, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. With that, we come to a close to this episode. Thank you so much, Vivek. This is one of the most candid conversations I've had on, that, on this podcast and uh, genuinely your insights will definitely, definitely help a lot of us, including me for sure.
1: My pleasure, you. my pleasure. You. Thank you. If
0: you have something to add to this or have questions for our guest or simply want to leave a note of thanks, head straight to twitter.com slash And last but not the least, thank you, Paul, for your consistent, relentless, and resourceful essays. Thank you.